Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Welcome to MotorWeek's 13th podcast, and we hope this is a lucky 13th for you. We know it is for us. Thank you for joining us once again. And around our table today, three of our staff from Motor Week, starting off with road test producer Brian Robinson. That's me. What's up? <laughs> we'll find out in a second. Writer Shamit Choksi. How are you, John? And over-the-edge reporter Stephen Chepnick. Hello, hello. And let's get right to it. Brian, um, yes, when we were down in uh, Roebling at Savannah, Georgia, our racetrack where we do our winter testing, we had a large group of vehicles, but two of the uh, cars down there were the newest versions of uh, sports cars that we've been uh, testing and loving for years. Uh, one was the Mazda RX-8, a new R3 version, and the Porsche 911 S was the other one. So why don't you get us kicked off by giving us your impressions of the two cars? Yeah, the RX-8 uh, is kind of the stepchild in the uh, import scene. It kind of never gets the respect it deserves. It's a fun little car uh, for 09. It gets updated, and I think it's the first time it's been updated since it uh, came out five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, new R3 package, basically a performance package. Tighten up the suspension, different wheels and tires, the bigger spoiler, that kind of thing. But no new motor, nothing no, else for the correct. motor. The motor, you know, typical rotary engine on the track you know very unique feel to the car no other cars like it you uh, just rev the heck out of it it's all about getting through the corner because uh, you're not going to get much power coming off of it so you get through as fast as you can and the thing really handles well big improvement uh it stays nice and flat you can uh it doesn't feel like you're going around the track that fast because it's smooth and you carry a lot of corner speed, but your uh, you know your times are right there with the most you know most other cars. They made it look a bit more aggressive, which I like. But you know, a lot of people who haven't looked at the RX-8 probably don't realize it is a true four-door sports car. Yeah, you can definitely put two adults in the back, and you've got the basically the uh, the suicide type doors in the rear. Right. I mean, it's a little tight back there. I'm not sure I could ride back there very long. Oh, I've been back there. It's it's not too bad, but uh, it is a pretty unique product when you look at its price range and what it does, and a remarkably well balanced car. Yeah, it's not. I would say it's quite as good on the track as like a 370Z, but as far as an everyday car, uh, you know, it's a fun car. So it's a way of having your performance and and not letting it beat you to death every day. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, as mm -hmm. far as the RX-8 driving, we had about eight cars down there, and, and I'd say that was probably the most fun just overall to drive, just to drive around in the, you know, some of the, the streets around On Savannah. the city streets. In the, on the city streets. How come? Um, I, it was just, you just, you sat there, and, and the seats were comfortable, the, the, the clutch was easy to use, it was, you know, go... And, and everything was right just there everything was right it. there. And it's it just, ergonomically, it's a very nice it, it work, felt, piece of work. Yeah, it, it felt tight, it felt... You know, good, mm -hmm. just good to just sit there with the wheel and the drive, and just not worry, have to worry about anything else with the car. Everything was kind of compact. It is interesting. It's a car that a sports car that we tend to forget uh, once in a while because they haven't done that much to it over the years. But it still is a, a very impressive performer. Speaking of which, the latest 911 and the S trim, trim uh, impressions, big improvement, small, what evolutionary? Uh, I wouldn't say evolutionary. Like all 911s. Uh, new 911s is more of an update than an all-new car. Biggest updates were obviously in the powertrain. I think the S got uh, 30 more horsepower mm -hmm. than previously. And uh, obviously with the car we had, the big addition is the PDK trans uh, transmission, which is a huge step up from their uh, 
Tiptronic automatic that they had before. This is a you know, dual clutch manual, sequentially shifted. Uh, you know, without getting too complex. Basically, all the odd gears are on one side, even gears are on the other side of the transmission, and there's a clutch pack in between. So when you're, like, say, in second gear, hard on the throttle, you hit the button, boom, you're instantly in third. It's already got the next gear selected for you. It just opens one clutch and closes another. Yeah, it's, shifts are instantaneous. And a big improvement over the sequ- sequential manual shifter, the single-clutch uh, transmissions that we've had to endure for the last dozen years or so. Yeah, it's definitely the best out there right now, and it's it's good in automatic mode for everyday driving as well. You don't have to pay a penalty at all. It looks like that, that dual-clutch technology is going to pretty much take over the manual automatic business in the next few years. Yeah, just have one transmission, basically. The only thing I would say is I didn't like about it was the the shifters are kind of more buttons on the wheel on the wheel than actual paddles like a lot of them have. Uh, it just took a little bit to get used to. What about the car? We've taken more Porsche 911s to our racetrack at Roebling Roads than any other car over the 25 years or so we've been going there. You know, anything different about the car that you noticed? I think it has, to me anyway, it had a little more of an edge. I think the last mile or two was, it kind of lost its its edge. I mean, it was more of a handful on the track. I mean, so you really had that, to work a little harder to drive it. Yeah, you could definitely feel that extra 30 horsepower. I mean, it, it wanted to really come off corners. Was it overwhelming? I mean, No, not overwhelming, but just more so than the last, last generation. They had gotten mm-hmm. docile. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've gotten to the point where you didn't have to be very good to drive them fast, which is yeah. good in one aspect, but on the other aspect, it's kind of disappointing on the track because you, you didn't feel it was testing you enough. Yeah, I wouldn't say it had gotten boring, but you know, more understeer than oversteer. And this one, I think, I think kind of brings a little more of that oversteer aspect. Back. More back, a more classic Porsche, yeah. what we think of as handling. Let me, let me ask you this, though. I like sometimes comparing apples to oranges, and you know, we just talked about the Mazda, uh, two totally different cars, but you know... Both of them on the track. Which one did you enjoy more? Which one did it for you more? On the track, I definitely 911. No okay. doubt. This yeah. if for the engine, if for nothing else. Right. But, but they're really the the Mazda is. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. An everyday sports car. Sure. Well, I would say the 911 is too. If you got the money, I mean, it's a lot more money. It's definitely a daily driver, though. I mean, we've had mm-hmm. we've had plenty of 911s in here that we you know driven constantly, day. Yeah. day in day out. Yeah, we've worn the tires out on a couple. So, do you, but do you think? Here's another question: Do you think something like a 911 is worth uh, more than twice the price of, say, a, a RX-8 or a 370Z? Uh, I wouldn't say it's worth. You can have certainly as much fun in the RX-8 and the 370Z. So, I wouldn't say it's twice the car as those, but it's certainly. But certainly then, the, of course, the others aren't a Porsche either, right? Right. Which makes to, to Porsche files makes all the difference. That's right. Thanks, Brian. Shamit. You're welcome. Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're going to a little bit different vehicle. Um, we, we always are railing against badge engineering. But here's an unusual piece of badge engineering. Uh, you, on the one hand, you've got Chrysler, who invented the front-wheel drive minivan back in the early 80s. And then you've got Volkswagen, who actually invented the small uh, people mover back in 1950 with the uh, uh, their original rear-wheel drive microbus. Now they've joined forces producing a van just for the American market, a minivan called the Volkswagen Rutan. So, is it more than badge engineering? I mean, it's, uh, I think you've said this before, it's more of a kind of a clash of cultures. It's two different eras coming together. But, uh, but did they work? But, you know, that's, that's the question. I mean, this, this uh, minivan is built on the Chrysler platform, and yes, it worked. It absolutely t- 
did work. Uh, uh, basically, it's it's a Dodge Grand Caravan with a Euro Flare. That's what we're looking at. Mm. Um, what did they do to sounds it? Sounds fantastic. It does, doesn't it? Sounds wonderful. Um, I, I think there's more than just a rebadge going on. There are some distinct differences. I mean, it, it is. Uh, in one way, it's the same car. It's assembled on the same line, right? They're side by side. They're coming off the same line. Um, but this thing, there are compromises to be made. The Rutan has certain things that the the Caravan doesn't bring. Um, those being things like Euro styling. It has a, a, a distinct look. A, a inside more and look. out. Inside and out. Inside, it's richer looking. Uh, Driving-wise, it has a Euro suspension, so a Euro tuned suspension. So it's a, it's a better drive. It feels like a better drive. But the big, the, the, I guess, the bird in the hand that that Chrysler has is stow and go and swivel and go. Their uh, their innovative seating. That's and that's huge. I think that stuff's w- uh, worth its weight in gold. And, and Chrysler did not give that up to Volkswagen. And I think smartly they did not because they want to hold on to that uniquely. So it looks like Rutan, which has the same powertrains and a little bit different appearance and, and a better ride, all of which I agree, and a much nicer interior than the Grand uh, Caravan in town and country. It looks like that's really a competitor for other import vans like from Toyota and Honda, which also don't have stow and go. Uh, but then that leaves the Chrysler vans pretty much by themselves as having still having the most innovative seating. That's right. That's right. I mean, so they stay innovative, and you know they're they're using this basic blueprint to come up with a. A very good minivan, but it's not exactly the same as the American minivan. It's if you're a, a German car fan, you would probably like this, uh, the new uh, Rutan, better than you would say its counterparts from Chrysler. I think that's we'll see people leaning towards that. For that yeah, I, I like to push minivans because when you compare them to uh, uh, crossover utilities, they're much better on fuel. Brian, you had something to say? Most practical vehicle out there, minivans. I tell people that all the time. Most people don't want to hear it; they want an SUV. But definitely the most practical vehicles out there. And they renamed the uh, My Gig Entertainment System Joybox, Joy which yeah. I like that name much yeah, better. Yeah, I like that too. That's <laughs> it's kind of cool. Um, Any other comments on Rutan? Aside from that, it has this, a lot of the same stuff: dual sliding doors, dual DV, rear DVD. It's a I minivan. Mean, yeah, it's a minivan. You know, and yeah. and you won't be disappointed if you have a family. Except that you have to find some place to store the rear seats. Correct. Yeah, which is kind of a bother. I think we still have a couple of sets around here that never made them back into test vehicles. <laughs> Stephen Chupnik. you went to a very unusual car show. Um, the, it was, the proper name of it was? The Professional Car Society International Meet. And that really means what kind of vehicles? Vehicles to die for? Uh, you can say that. Uh, it's, uh, it's a group of people who, have, uh, who meet monthly or quarterly uh, across the country that have old-time and new, and new hearses, uh, ambulances, and limousines. And I, I know that uh, I know a lot about this because a friend of mine is, uh, has been running this uh, national, this is their national once-a-year get-together that you covered. All right, so tell us about it. What was your experience? What did you expect before you went in, and what did you find? Well, I have to say, it was uh, my 30th birthday weekend. Um, so uh, so that, was, that was definitely the way that... Uh, I wanted to uh, to to spend my, uh, my my birthday up in New Jersey, um, but uh, but this guy uh, Greg Marksmer, uh, you know, was nice enough to have us in uh, up there, and we saw some of the most interesting uh, vehicles I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, is old time fifties ambulances. Uh, 
actually, the, for the first time ever, uh, there were there was a car called the uh, the uh, Ambulet, which is a Studebaker, and mm-hmm. it was it's a kind of a dual car that that they basically transformed from a Studebaker into an ambulance, um, and it's the fir- for the first time there were t- actually two of them. Well, at, all of at, these at the cars event. were basically, um, you know. Brought into specialty manufacturers and transformed, but this was, but they didn't. This was uh, something that was done after the fact. It wasn't originally. A, it uh, wasn't original. It wasn't originally mm-hmm. an ambulance uh, or a medical car, mm-hmm. uh, and they they converted it into a medical car. Um, but these were particular because they could take, they could take it back and have it just put back in and made it into a station, regular station Oh, wagon. well, that's pretty interesting. Were, were the cars mostly uh, original, uh, in other words, looking like they were when they did service, or were they highly customized, or uh, what? I'd say every almost every single one of them was original parts from the 1950s and 60s. So uh, they were stored into, like, pristine uh, condition? They were in mint condition. It was like, like they were supposed to be on the roads in the 1950s. Greg's a, a longtime friend of mine and a member of the um, uh, International Motoring Press Association. I know he's been involved with these uh, specialty cars for a very long time, and his enthusiasm for them when he talks about them is just uh, amazing. When you got there, what were the people like? Because you could see, I mean, they weren't all like Herman Munster walking around, right? No, none, none of them really were. Um, I mean, they're just regular they just look like regular people i mean not to sound i mean they're just normal people they, they um, were they're collectors they just yeah. collect something never exactly. no extra hands coming out or two heads no, no but no. i mean did they have more was like their passion i mean you know did they were they passionate for these oh, cars these guys were more passionate about their cars than probably we are about new cars um well they, we have to change that no. <laughs> i mean they they know about every single ambulance that was ever made they know about hearse, every hearse that was made. Um, one, uh, I guess it was considered a hearse. I, they call it a, a horse-drawn coach. Um, but it was from the from the Civil War era. That these so it people, didn't have a V eight. It in didn't it. have a, it, no. There was no <laughs> engine, and uh, they these this couple from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Two horsepower, right? Two horsepower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they they were very knowledgeable, not only on theirs, but. So it, it wasn't just um, internal combustion engine vehicles. They also had some ultra, very historic wagons. Oh, so very much so. It sounded like a fun one, and I it must say I was, was very sorry that I couldn't go along on that one as a grip. Yeah. So you enjoyed yourself. Very much. It's going to make a great segment. Yeah. Thanks very much, Stephen, and thanks, everybody, for joining us for our Motor Week podcast number 13. I'd also like to thank, of course, as our, always, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, who makes sure that we come through loud and clear, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, who came up with this brilliant idea, and also our producer, Michelle Parker, who makes sure that all the content we get to you is up to date. Uh, besides bringing us co- goodies this week, it was um, low-fat peppermint uh, patty, York peppermint patties. So, uh, And I think we pretty much demolished that bag. Thanks for joining us for our Motor Week podcast, and we hope to see you again soon on Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Cars.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.